Hi, and welcome to Deep Leadership. I'm your host, John Rennie. Well, I hope all is well with you today. It is Saturday morning, and I'm drinking a hot cup of Bottom Gun Coffee from my friends at BottomGunCoffee.com as I record this episode. I have a very special show lined up for you. As you know, November 11th is Veterans Day. Now, this is a day where we honor the military veterans who served in our armed forces. As a veteran myself, I've always used this day to honor the veterans in my life. But this year, Veterans Day is different. This is the first Veterans Day since the failed withdrawal of our forces in Afghanistan. Many Afghanistan veterans are struggling. They're struggling to find some meaning to the sacrifices they made and the tragedies they experienced in America's longest war. My guest today is here to help. Lieutenant Colonel Scott Mann is an Afghanistan war veteran. He is a former Green Beret and the co-founder of Task Force Pineapple. Now, you've probably heard of them. They're a group of citizens working independently of the government to help Afghan special operators and their families since the, since the withdrawal. Scott is a writer and producer. He wrote and produced a film called Last Out, Elegy of a Green Beret, that tells the story of the Afghan war through the voice of the warriors and military families who lived through it. The film is available for free starting on this Veterans Day, and it's going to be at lastoutfilm.com. And now all the proceeds donated to this film will go to help overcome veteran trauma caused by the Afghan collapse. So it's my honor and privilege to have Scott Mann as my guest on today's show. So are you ready to dive in? Let's get started. Welcome to Deep Leadership. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former Cold War submarine officer who spent 20 plus years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. Leadership matters. Are you ready for some real world actionable advice from John as well as his expert guests? I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. The show starts right now. Welcome to the Deep Leadership Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Lieutenant Colonel Scott Mann. Scott spent 23 years in the United States Army, 18 of that as a Green Beret, where he specialized in unconventional high-impact missions all over the world, including Colombia, Ecuador, Peru, Panama, Iraq, and Afghanistan. Scott is the founder of Rooftop Leadership and the Hero's Journey. He's also been very active with Task Force Pineapple since the end of the war in Afghanistan. He has a new documentary coming out called Last Out, Elegy of a Green Beret, with the purpose of helping Afghanistan veterans heal from the wounds of war. Scott is a leader, a storyteller, and someone who cares deeply about veterans, and I'm honored to have him on the show. So, Scott, welcome. Hey, John. Hey, John. Thanks for having me. Well, it's an honor to have you here. And, uh, you know, we uh, uh, we met, I was on uh, the Armed Forces Brewing Company podcast, yeah. at which you were the interviewer. So I yeah. was on the other side of the table. And I'm really, right. as soon as I met you, I said, well, I've got to have you on my show. So it's it's an honor to have you, sir. Thanks. You know, it, the cool thing was, and, and I felt the same way, it was, I felt like it was just a conversation between two old friends. And uh, those are the best ones. Absolutely. I agree 100%. That was a fun podcast. And, uh, yeah. and uh, people should check that out. And uh, if, you, sure. if you're on my if you're on my feed, you'll see it that's out there on our website. But uh, let's talk about your story, because I think it's really interesting. And uh, you well, there's a lot to talk about. But I wanted to just kind of go back to the beginning. How did you end up deciding to, 
joined the army and how did you end up becoming a Green Beret? Was that a passion from, from, from your youth or is it something that kind of developed over time that you wanted to go in that direction? You know, it was. It was a passion for my youth, John. I, I, um, I grew up in a little logging town in uh, Mount Ida, Arkansas. We didn't even have a stoplight in that little town. And um, I was a runt of a kid really just kind of didn't fit in anywhere. And uh, one day a green beret walked into our soda shop in town mm. and, um, and uh, ended up sitting down and talking with me. And the way he engaged me, the way, you know, that, that really just one, he just, he looked the part, you know, he mm. looked like this amazing elite warrior, but it was really the way he talked to me. It was the way that he engaged me as that kind of that runt, that little guy outsider. He made me feel like the most important person in the world and told me all about special forces, the Green Berets, and how they would uh, parachute into uh, denied territory and were mm. very different than the SEALs and the Rangers and that everything they did was around relationships with, with tribal leaders. And, 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 and they were able to go in with 12 and come out with 12,000. And I just was enamored by that and the way he engaged me. And I thought, man, if I could do that, uh, that would be everything. So at 14, I decided to become a Green Beret, and it wow. never it never changed for me. Wow. Yeah, your story is very similar to my story. It's about, that's about the same age I decided that I wanted to be a submarine officer. That was it. And, uh, yeah. And, yeah. And it but it's yeah. a long journey to go from 14 years old to become a green beret. So it is, it is. Yeah. And, and, you know, you have to cut through all of those things that you think it is based on what you read and see. Mm -hmm. And, and then, you know, life has other plans for you when you get exposed to it. Yeah. Yeah. But you, but you did it. You had a long career in the army and, uh, yeah. In fact, what I want to talk to you about, one, one thing, just, you know, this being a leadership podcast, you, you know, you spent, you spent time in Afghanistan uh, yeah. in a leadership role and it definitely, forms a lot of who you are today from that sure. experience. Tell us a little bit, give us a, some insight of what is it like to be a leader in a situation like that, a wartime, uh, you're, you're in a life and death situation, uh, you're leading uh, men and in, in probably women, I don't know, but uh, uh, definitely men uh, in, in combat situations. What, what is it like for a, to be in a leadership position and how does that affect you as you, yourself personally? You know, it, it's, I always joke and say that I always felt like I was out over my skis. You know, mm. uh, if, if you use a, a ski jump metaphor, I feel like I was way out in front of my skis all the time. And it, it was not a feeling of being completely out of control, but just a feeling that I was always up against something that was bigger than me. And, mm. and I was always, you know, I was, there was always that tinge of doubt or reluctance that, um, that I was up to the task, that I was the right person you know, I'd love to sit here and say with my hands on my hips that it was everything I trained for. And, but yeah. it wasn't, I, 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 I often felt, I would say I constantly felt like I was uh, dealing with resistance and reluctance as I led. It was never uh, an end zone dance or, you know, just uh, a, a breeze or a coast. It was always a grind. Um, and, you know, I go all the way back to just going through special forces school and ranger school, I, I, I failed every school I ever went to because I was such a runt and I had to do them multiple times. And, and, and it was really, it was that, it was just that kind of persistence to hang on and stay in the game. And, um, you know, I, I guess I did okay, but I never felt like I was uh, exactly where I needed to be. I always felt like I was just grinding and in a good way, but it was just leading in combat's hard. And, and um, it's, it's it, as you know, leading men and women 
um, in those kinds of situations, whether you're under the sea or in, in, in a firefight, um, there's no room for error, you know? And right, so that's right. always a little bit of reluctance kind of tugging at you. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the one thing I, I've noticed over the years, too, is when I've been um, in a leadership situation with people, and it's a very difficult period, whether it's been in, in the military or is in business, is that I I developed tighter bonds during those times. And I wonder if the same with you is you, the friendships and the, the bonds you built uh, in that kind of a condition or that kind of situation. Were, the, were they, you know, do, are these friends that you have for life now because yeah. you've been through that time together? Yeah, for sure. And, you know, there's a, there's an old adage in, um, in negotiations and, and leadership that I talk about a lot in Rooftop, which is, you know, you build trust when risk is low mm. and you leverage that trust when risk is high. 100%. Yeah. And, and really so, important. you know, the, the relationships were built in the moments of, uh, you know, training out in the woods behind our headquarters in Fort Bragg. They were built in you know, moments of rainy nights and nobody really even caring what we were doing out there or, or holiday parties with all of our team together. And, you know, but the, they were leveraged in those crucible moments when yeah. uh, everything mattered. And, and I think that's something that's lost today in leadership is I think a lot of leaders, particularly at the corporate level, feel like, you know, they can build trust and build relationships when risk and when the risk is high. And I don't, I don't think that's how we're wired as humans. I think we have to we have to build that social capital in the in the periods when nobody's looking, and then the universe rewards that when when things fall apart. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a good point. I've never thought of it that way, but I think it's really true. And and you know, my experience is when you know when we had good relations, and then you know everything hit the fan. That's when we 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 you know, we stepped up and we built this tight bond, you know, as a team because we were being tested and it wasn't just me being tested. It was us being tested, you know, the team being tested. That's right. And I think that's when we, we, for me, at least my experience, we built tighter, tighter bonds during the tough times. And, and those tough times sure. are, are really, really important to build those tough, those tight bonds and uh, those relationships. So, yeah, I mean, struggle is, Daniel Coyle in his book, The Little Book of Talent, he says that struggle is a biological necessity. Mm. And I and I think that's absolutely right. You know, um, we are we are we are we are creatures of struggle, you know, as humans that that's just part of the human condition. Uh, Sebastian Younger calls it a community of sufferers. Yeah. Uh, but but the military figured out long ago that if you want to build strong teams, elite teams and forge bonds, you do it in, in shared struggle. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it's astounding to me today how, and that's why I love your your deep leadership approach, how so many leaders, they try to drum struggle out of the equation. Like they, we, try yeah. to, we try to dilute it or homogenize it when in reality, we should just stand on it and invoke it as part of what we do. And um, yeah. it's, it's really where I think people find you the most relatable. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, it's the hero's journey, right? So 100%. You know, every every book, every, every you know, uh, movie has got the hero that goes through some sort of trial. And because of that trial, they change, you know, something about a character changes, and then they come out at the end a different person. And we're, we are attracted to those heroes that get, go through those, those trials and those tribulations. And, because, and if you but, haven't been there, I don't think you're, you're not as unique a person. I think that you're absolutely right. And the irony is we've all been there. The, the difference is some people try to make others feel like they haven't been. 
you know, they mm-hmm. try to, they try to show up with five easy ways to be great like me. And, 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 yeah. you know, it's unwatchable, you know, what, what the reason, you know, we're social creatures as humans. So we're always looking for who we can connect to who's relatable. Well, the person that's most relatable is that leader who's generous with her scars, you know, who takes mm-hmm. her, her struggle and repurposes it in the service of others and says, you know, that mistake we just made, I made a similar mistake, you know, when I was your age and it was this. And it's not that we tolerate or accept failure or mistakes, but we recognize that struggle, it's part of that human condition. And it's actually where if leaders will invoke it and, and let it be part of who they are, uh, people will choose you. I mean, in storytelling, no struggle, no story. Uh, yeah. In fact, Dr. Kendall Haven says that nowadays, if you omit struggle from your story, uh, your your listeners will actually turn on you. They'll become like narrative insurgents to what you're saying. They they mm. resent it. You know, struggle is it's essential. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Well, you you got out of the military, and um, you know everybody does different things when they get out of the military. Some go work in corporations. You decided to start a business uh, with Rooftop Leadership, and then you as well started the Hero's Journey, and both had very distinct, different purposes. So maybe explain a little bit about why you went in that direction right after you get out of the military. Yeah, I mean, like anything else, a lot of it was life was, was what happens when you're making other plans, you know. Right. Uh, but I did know that for me, I wanted more than anything else. I wanted to take the lessons that I had learned, particularly about human connection, mm. into the realm of leadership. Because as I came home from service, John, I noticed that a lot of the trust gaps that existed in tribal Afghanistan were now in the United States. I mean, yeah. you know, and, and I thought, well, this is pretty new. I mean, we haven't always had this kind of distrust uh, in our country. Um, it seems to be getting worse. What if I could take the lessons I learned about how to go into a village that's trust depleted and make a connection in five mm-hmm. minutes or less and, and share those lessons, you know, m- help people move that needle from instinct to skill and, you know, we would help different leaders go from hiding in their homes to going up on rooftops and fighting back and that, and that you know, of their own free will. And that's where rooftop leadership came from okay. was was the, you know, was inspiring people to take action out of their own free will based on relationships and social capital and, and, the, and building that trust down in the in the fields when risk is low, leveraging it when risk was high. Um, and then on the nonprofit side, I had a very, very bad transition. I almost took my own life. And um, it was really a mentor on the civilian side who showed me the power of storytelling as a way to validate and heal my journey. And, and so I fell in love with storytelling. I believe it's the greatest transition asset for veterans. And um, so I, I wanted and I, and I started studying it. And that's what I study and teach is the primary form of human connection is narrative competence. So I wanted to f- I put together, my wife and I did a nonprofit that would help warriors and their families and first responders learn how to find their own voice as they transition and then and then tell their story, use narrative mm-hmm. to bridge those gaps between the military world and the civilian world um, and build those trust, those trust relationships. And uh, yeah, so I teach storytelling to veterans. I think it's great. I, you know, that's what I saw, you know, when I was looking, getting ready for this interview is that you took two directions. One is how can I teach, you know, 
people from my experiences, right, in, in Afghanistan and throughout the military? How do I teach that from a leadership and a relation standpoint? But also, I've got some, I, I know what I've been through, and I know others have been through the same. How can I help them and, and through this 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 um, tool of storytelling? And it's really two different paths you went on, and it's, um, I think it's really powerful, and it's it's really good to see that, uh, you know, in both cases, you're giving back, right? You're, yeah, and, you're trying yeah. to help, and I think that's, you know, I always think that that the leaders, when you take the approach that you're trying to help and you're trying to add value and you're trying to, you know, move, help people move in a certain direction, that's the right motivation for leadership, not to make money or a corner office or fancy car. It's about it's about helping people get to the next level. That's what leadership's all about. I believe that level of self-actualization is actually, you know, when you look at Maslow's pyramid, I believe it's absolutely right. And, you know, part, I think where the, the dilemma is for, for veterans and frankly, a lot of corporate leaders who have lost their way, we become so transactional, um, you know, veterans leave the military and we lose our purpose. Right. And, and, right. and purpose, we're the most meaning seeking creatures on the planet without purpose, we die. Mm-hmm. And, and so I had to figure that out the hard way. But once I got back to that, um, yes, the for-profit rooftop leadership and the nonprofit, they're very compatible, but what they both do is they fuel my sense of meaning and purpose yeah, yeah. and they allow me to play that, you know, cause I loved it when I was a green beret. Cause I, I felt like I was always playing a bigger game, yeah, you know, yeah. and that lit me up more than anything else. And I think most high performers, you know, deep leadership is about that. Yeah. It, it, it is about playing that, that game of being impact bigger than yourself. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and whatever it is that we pursue in that regard I think the universe rewards that and there's a there's a level of happiness that comes with it, even though it's hard. Yeah. Yeah, I agree 100 percent. Yeah. Purpose is extremely important. Yeah. Um, so you talk about storytelling and I just want to give you that opportunity to talk about it. Why is why are stories so important? Why why do they resonate so well? Why are they so effective in healing, so effective in leading? I know as a leader, I tell stories all the time to uh just, you know, let people visualize what we're, where we're headed or why we're headed. So tell us yeah. about storytelling. Why is this so unique and why do you think it captured you so, so much? Yeah. So I have to teach storytelling to a lot of left brainers, uh, whether <laughs> it's, you know, uh, Navy SEALs or whether it's bankers or, you know, engineers, like a lot of people, they hear a story and they're like, whoa, 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 you know, <laughs> and, and we're in the world of PowerPoint, you know, where, uh, David Phillips research shows that 90% of what you show in a PowerPoint presentation is forgotten within 30 seconds of thank you for yeah. your time. And the reason is because it engages working memory. So the reason that storytelling is so important, and, and I've, I've worked on the neuroscience side of it for a long time, is um, first of all, stories have been around for 70,000 years, right? We've been mm-hmm. telling stories for 60,000 years longer than we've had coded language. And the reason is because stories, uh, the brain is a metaphorical pattern matching organ, John. So your brain, when it looks at new data or new information, it uses patterns to make sense of things. So it says this is like that and this is like that. And it tells itself a story, right? And, and so what we've, we've come to realize through neuroscience studies is that every time you present information to your listener you do it in PowerPoint. Well, they take that PowerPoint and they tell themselves a story, right? Mm. And, and, and so what that's what's actually happening. So if you take your information and you nest it in a narrative, then your story will pass through the listener's brain, not their own self-created narrative. Mm. And most of the time when the listener creates a story based on new data, particularly your data, they're going to get it wrong. 
And they're going to be somewhat agitated that they had to do it. But if you put it in a story, the brain is wired to, to receive it that way. And so the, it, the, the guard comes down. It accelerates trust. Oxytocin is emitted, the trustworthiness molecule. And all of a sudden, you, you now have a trust accelerant. That's like when we see a TEDx speaker who really tells a story in a compelling way. Everybody in the room stands up at the same time. They're literally synchronized. And they mm-hmm. are, they've gone on that journey with the storyteller. Storytelling enables so if i tell a story about my dad's cancer you might listen to that story and locate yourself in it and actually be thinking about another family member's cancer that you went through or your own battle with cancer and it's like autobiographical listening what I, what was my experience now becomes your lived experience without you experiencing the physical pain mm-hmm. and that's the key that's the in this modern age storytelling still hits all of the the emotions, it, we remember it in long-term memory. And most of all, we feel as if we live the experience ourselves, And that creates reciprocity and connection. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. One ping only, please. As I thought, John Rennie's new book, All in the Same Boat, is right over there. It's at allinthesameboatbook.com. Your orders are to get there now. And remember, be careful what you shoot at. Most things in here don't react too well to bullets. Is your boss a jerk? I understand you're in the hospital, but I'm going to need you to come in today. Do they lack any ability to actually lead people? Oh, it's fine. I'll I'll just find somebody else that can do it, okay? John is offering a new service just for you. For only $10, he will anonymously mail a copy of his best-selling book, I Have the Watch, to your boss with a personal note. Go to IHaveTheWatch.com and enter the discount code BOSS at checkout. Deep Leadership is brought to you by the Bottom Gun Coffee Company. Bottom Gun is owned and operated by U.S. submarine veterans, and no one knows coffee better than the men and women who serve long hours keeping watch under the sea. Bottom Gun Coffee Company has a variety of coffee blends designed to keep you moving. From Ahab's Revenge, extremely strong coffee, to their morning blend, Bottom Gun purchases only premium, certified, organic coffee beans from all over the world to create the finest tasting coffee you will ever experience. Bottom Gun is offering a discount to the listeners of Deep Leadership. Go to BottomGunCoffee.com and enter the discount code DEEP at checkout. Bottom Gun Coffee, the taste that's qualified. Yeah, no, that's that's powerful. I did I did watch your TEDx speak uh, speech that you did. And I can tell you, I got emotional through through that. And uh, sure. you, 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 you know, the way it was delivered, uh, the way you told the stories in 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 that TEDx talk, it was very emotional for for me. Not having done what you have done, right? Not having served, uh, you know, in a combat zone like that, like you did. But I definitely, you know, just the relationships that I had with my buddies, you know, in the Navy and what have you, and I just. I felt that, you know, I felt that tug. So it's definitely connected with me. And I think you're right. I put myself in that story. You know, it was your story, but I put myself in that story. Like what yeah. would have been like if I had lost, 
you know, someone very close to me. And that's what we do. On 9-11, you know. That's what we do. We autobiographically listen. That's why it's so important for veterans. Or if you're, if you're going into a new arena where you have to establish trust, you know, the, 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 one, of the, one of the keys is about storytelling is to remember that what's personal is universal, mm-hmm. right? So if you talk about something that's personal to you and you allow yourself to go into that place and you tell it with that level of commitment, even though the other person may not have any experience with it, they feel as if they lived it. And that is the, to me, the miracle of storytelling. That's why in these modern times of disconnection and the rat race, the storyteller is going to own the room every time with clients, with their people and with their kids, uh, because it's what we're wired for, but nobody Mm. does it anymore. Yeah, I know you're right. I think it's really powerful. One thing you mentioned in the TEDx talk, and I want to touch base on a little bit, is you talked about um, scars and the importance of scars and how scars help us heal uh, but it also, I don't know, tell us a little bit about the, the importance of scars in our journey. Yeah, that talk is called The Generosity of Scars. And it's really done, you know, it's, it's, it's really had a lot of impact. And it's, it's based around my, my, uh, my near miss with suicide and uh, terrible transition and then the repurposing of that struggle uh, to serve other people. And, and, and I call, you know, I, the dictionary defines scars you know, as a mark on the skin, right? But but I define a scar as a mark on the soul. Uh, in mm-hmm. a lot of cases, it's the things that we experience um, that 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 scuff us up. They're the struggles. They're the things that we go through, and maybe we don't want to tell other people about, or maybe we, you know, the the biggest ones are we don't want to tell ourselves. Those are you know those traumas, um, those uh, struggles that we go through have immense value with other people. And, 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 and if we are willing to repurpose those struggles through narrative, um, through generosity, what it can enable for other people, like for example, my, my, my battle with suicide and depression and post-traumatic stress has helped a lot of people. When I tell that story, you know, it's not easy to tell it, but they locate themselves in the story and they, and they realize they're not alone. And they realize that there's someone else who relates to them and they realize that there is another path for them. And through my pain, they're able to to find a path for themselves as if they lived it themselves. And maybe they have. So that's what I mean by the generosity of scars. And in these times that we live in, everybody's all about me, me, me and the transaction and materialism. I believe the leaders who are generous with their scars, who share their stories of struggle, in a way that serves the listener are the ones that, that make are the most relatable and the most relevant. And, and they're the ones people are going to follow. Mm. Yeah, that's really powerful. That's, that's, you know, and again, going back to what we were talking about earlier is that you're, you're, you're a more interesting and more relatable person when you have scars and people know your scars. You're not this perfect, you know, everything I've ever done has been perfect and I'm the perfect yeah. leader. I'm the, you know, cause yeah. people don't trust that, you know, they don't, they don't John. And, and in this digital world where everything is screen time and a representation of the natural world, um, look at it by representation. I mean, people actually doctor up their, their image on the screen. They, right. they take selfies. Like that's not, we're not, that's not normal. Like that's not yeah, a natural yeah. way of human behavior. Yeah. We've come up with this represented reality and deep down, we know it's false. We know it's wrong. So yeah. when a storyteller gets in front of us, 
And, you know, most humans have an attention span of like eight seconds these days. That storyteller will hold the room and they'll hold it for as long as they need to, even on a Zoom call. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's that's so true. Yeah. When 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 you're hearing a good story, time time stand just go, you stand still. You're 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 in a story and you're you know why that is the moment. So what the reason for that is we actually go into a trance-like state. Wow. Humans humans go into trances all the time. We go into a trance when we're angry. We go into a trance when we're afraid because the body has to move energy to react to a threat. So yeah. like it's so we go into a trance and the 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 sympathetic nervous system takes over. Well, we also go into a trance when we hear a story because yeah. we literally we literally transfer imagery, right? And so we're in a trance as that movie from the other party's playing in our head. And that's why I'm like, you know, learning how to be a storyteller like a primal tribal storyteller to me is the most competitive advantage you can have as a leader. Mm, that's really good. Well, good. I guess I, I touched on some things with my last book because there's like 53, 55 stories in that book. So uh, all to try to illustrate different points, but uh, that's it. Yeah. But it's all to try to get people's attention because, you know, if you just go through a bullet point of here's, you know, good leaders should do X, Y, and Z people aren't, people don't understand or they're not, they're not, they're not that interested in it. Right. I mean, it's, it's just, they've seen the same thing over and over again, but if you pull them into a story where those lessons are in that story, they're more likely to remember them when it's all done. hundred percent. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I, since I have you here on the, on the call, I just have to ask about, and it's not quite related to leadership and all that you've done, but before we get into talking about the documentary, I just want to talk about that task force pineapple. I think it's very interesting that you're part of that. And I've heard, I guess maybe the connection, uh, the communities I'm connected with, I've heard bits and pieces about what's happening, uh, yeah. and essentially, what is Task Force Pineapple? What do you, what is, what are you guys trying to do with that? So, uh, believe it or not, I, I stood that up. Um, you know, I, it started with, um, and, it, and it does affect deep leadership, and it gets back to that reluctant leadership that we talked about. I spent nine years trying to put this war behind me after I retired. I certainly didn't want to be around the government anymore. I left pretty disgusted with, with yeah. how the government operated and, and with what we were doing in the war. In fact, when you watch my film, Last Out, our film, Last Out, that's coming out on Veterans Day, you will think that we actually – produced that film after Afghanistan fell mm. because it is truly life imitating art. But uh, we didn't, we just saw what was coming. Um, and so I didn't, when Afghanistan started to collapse, I was sickened by it. I was upset yeah. by it, but I didn't want to get involved anymore. I just thought, well, that was a, that was a ride, but it was one friend of mine, a commando named Nazam who was in duress and who texted me and said, brother, um, I'm not afraid to die. Just don't let me die alone. Mm. And um, I recognized in that moment that nobody else was coming. The government was not going to get involved and my friend was going to be executed. Um, And so I called up a couple of buddies who were still on active duty. And I said, look, hey, one last mission. You know, we've got a promise to honor here. And can we get him out? And so we just worked together to basically be his eyes and ears from the United States, knowing that country, having relationships. And we moved him through different vehicles and got him you know, the key was how do you get him through 30,000 people at the airfield and, and allow him to present himself as a former commando in this sea of people. Um, and that's what we did. And at, right at the gate, the Marines told him, we, we called someone on the inside who, 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 who gave authorization and they said, tell him to say pineapple. So mm. we were screaming that over the phone as his phone was about to run out of juice. 
and we were about to lose him and he he said pineapple and he got through and the pineapple memes started flying all over our little signal chat room of five people and and task force pineapple was born out of that and and so from that we used the same process to help uh, close to 700 people wow. get through the perimeter and and onto onto freedom here in the United States well, thank you for being a part of that. Thank you for doing that. I think I've had, I don't know if you know Mike Simpson. He's uh, was a Green Beret, did some time in Afghanistan. He's a uh, yeah. medical doctor, but he, I had him on the podcast shortly after Afghanistan fell and just hearing his perspective from a leadership perspective yeah. and yeah, kind Mike of like failure, failure of yeah. leadership. And, and I think, I think even though that's not my war, I, I, as a veteran, I just was, was sickened by, you know, the decisions yeah. that were made at the end. And, um, so I'm glad. All I can say is I'm glad there's guys like you out there that are able to help um, where you can, and and uh, and I certainly from you know I appreciate it. as an American I appreciate what you're doing. And I wish you know, I, I, I wish the yeah. government government was helping. Um, more. I do too. I, I do think though it's a harbinger of things to come, and potentially in a good way, John, in the sense that you know Robert Putnam in his book Bowling Alone talks about a time in the early 1900s when everything was falling apart, and uh, you know no leadership was there. Uh, it seemed at the formal level. And, uh, you know, a couple of drunks in Akron, Ohio, Dr. Bob and Bill W. looked at each other and said, you know what, nobody's coming, let's have a meeting. And they started Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, of which I've been a member for 20 years. And, mm -hmm. and it got me sober all these years later, millions others, the Rotary Club, the Shriners Club, yep. the yep. NAACP all started during that period for with that kind of movement. I believe personally, that Pineapple Team America Task Force Dunkirk, those were the first shots across the bow of the 21st century um, event similar to what I just described with Putnam's book. I think that we need leaders who look around and go, okay, nobody's coming. You know what? I'm going to do this. Yeah. I'm going to do yep. this. And I think, it, I think we're on the edge of it. And I'm actually excited about it because I think it's time to fire a whole bunch of leaders. Good. No, I, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. I, I, I feel the same way too. So, um, so let's, let's talk about the, the, the documentary, which yeah. of which was a play and now is being put into a movie. And yeah. I, that's what I want to talk about. It's called Last Out, Elegy yeah. of a Green Beret. Tell yeah. us about, um, tell us about it, you know, its origins and now what's going to happen here on Veterans Day this year. Yeah. You know, I, it, it's been a project near and dear to my heart, John, for probably over five years now. I've never, you know, I had no intention of becoming a playwright or an actor. It's like the ultimate midlife crisis. Um, but, you know, I had tried speaking from the stage. I had written a book about Afghanistan called Game Changers. I'd been on the news talking about it. And it nothing seemed to me to get across to the American people that we were in a, a, the longest war in history, um, that less than 1% of our population was continuing to go over and over again. The movies didn't really cover it. They were all about the first in. Nobody was talking about the last out, mm. the men and the women who go over day after day, month after month, year after year. And, and I wanted to show that, especially as my oldest son told me he wanted to become a Green Beret. And I mm. thought, man, most of the people in this country don't even know we're at war. What's going to happen with my son when he goes over to fight a war that I didn't finish? Yeah. You know, what's that going to be like? And so uh, several of my mentors had written plays and said, you should write a play because telling it from the stage will allow them to experience it at an emotional level and feel, you know, through storytelling, what Danny, the main character, the Green Beret fighting the longest war in history feels, what his wife, Lynn, and his son, Caden, feels, the military family who never has a voice. So I just started moving the pen. My wife helped me write it. We found an all-veteran cast to perform it, 
And we took it on the road in 2019 to 16 cities. Uh, It was on Tom Brokaw, Good Morning America. We did 250 PTS interventions in the lobbies and the talkbacks afterwards with our counselors. And then when COVID hit, it shut down. And we said, you know what? If Hamilton can turn a play into a film, so can we. So we we raised a quarter million dollars. We filmed it with the same cast. And uh, it's super powerful. It's a beautiful film. And we're going to release it on Veterans Day. There's a documentary about all this now at lastoutfilm.com. It's 30 minutes. You can go and watch the behind the scenes. It's really beautiful. But the film itself, two hours and 19 minute runtime, is coming out on Veterans Day. Um, And if you could go to lastoutfilm.com right now, you can sign up and it's free. Um, But if you are wondering about what happened in Afghanistan, if you want to get beyond thank you for your service after 20 years with our veterans, or if you were a veteran who served or a military family member, you got to watch the film. Like it is, it is the most realistic presentation of, of war through storytelling I think ever done. And, um, it's just powerful. And we need to, our goal is a hundred thousand views this veterans day, uh, and a million views in 2022. And, and right now the country's hurting John from this collapse in Afghanistan and storytelling calms the nervous system. It heals the heart and it brings us together. And, and this story about Afghanistan, a story of letting go, a story of hope. Um, I think it's time for it. And I hope people will watch it. Yeah, that's a that's really exciting. I am looking forward to it. I have been on the website. I have signed up, so right. I'm excited to see it. I've watched the, the you know the doc, a little bit of the documentary, the the baking of it, and it's it's really powerful. And I just encourage everyone listening in to to take a look at that because this is as as you say, we need to heal as a nation. I mean, we you know there's lessons from Vietnam that uh, you know that we didn't really quite learn as a country. And let's not repeat some of the things that happened to those veterans as they came home, right? We have to understand, even though I wasn't in your shoes, I didn't serve in Afghanistan, but I want to be there for the people that did, right? And so I think these, these, uh, this film is going to help us understand it better and be able to relate to the people because we weren't there. We, we didn't experience what you experienced, right? So how do we, how do we take those lessons uh, from these stories and help us to be able to relate to the people that have gone through it? Because I have, I have Afghanistan uh, veterans working for me at my company. So I, right. you know, we talk about it all day long. We, and he's a Marine and uh, we, we talk a lot, a lot of us. I, I tend to know a little bit more than most, but um, still I wasn't there. So I never, so I think this is a great way to be able to show people that weren't there to get them to connect better with your story and the story of, you know, hundreds and hundreds of veterans who served in that long war. I think it'll make a real difference. And like to your, your employee who's a Marine, I hope he watches it because I think he'll locate himself in that story. Um, it, the protagonist is a Green Beret, but every warrior and family member will locate themselves in this story. And uh, yeah, like you said, it makes it relatable and it makes it brings us together around a really hard topic right now. And I guarantee you, once you watch it, you'll understand why so many veterans ran into the breach to cover what the government wouldn't do. It's so clear. I mean, it is literally life imitating art. Yep. No, I can definitely see that. So how can people find out more about the film and uh, and your your company, you you in general? Yeah, thanks, John. Um, Well, the film lastoutfilm.com. And uh, you can go there. You can watch. I, I strongly recommend watching the documentary. It'll bring you in and get you so emotionally invested. You won't be able to wait until the film comes out and you can enroll to watch the film there. Um, I would also say if, if you 
if you're if you're able to make a donation uh, to our nonprofit at that same site, um, that that donation is going to go to help our warriors overcome the trauma of the Afghan collapse. We we do a lot of work through narrative and interventions, and and both Afghan warriors and American warriors are suffering right now. And this this is a great way if you can donate any amount helps. And then on the leadership and connection side, human connection, if you want to be a better storyteller, if you want to make better connections with your employees or clients, um, rooftopleadership.com. Um, we've got a ton of content there. The Rooftop podcast is there. Our vlogs, our video vlogs on human connection, um, and, and just all kinds of ways to go deeper with us. And I, and I hope people will check it out. Okay. Very good. Well, we'll put those links in the show notes, and I really Thank do you. encourage Everyone, this is going to come out. This uh, this is this is being released. This podcast is being released right before Veterans Day. So uh, you're thinking about Veterans Day. You're thinking about how do you thank a veteran? How do you relate to a veteran? If you served, if you didn't serve, you need to go check it out. So it's last uh, lastoutfilm.com. Uh, check it out. Watch the uh, documentary that's there, um, and then sign up for uh, the release of the film. And be one of those hundred thousand views on Veterans Day. That's one way, and you can and you can also contribute. So, that's a powerful way to thank somebody for their service, other than just saying thank you for your service. Absolutely, absolutely, John. Thank you so much, man. Well, I really appreciate Scott you coming on the show and sharing all of your experiences, and I appreciate everything that you're doing to not only try to teach leadership and to teach uh, relationships and but also to help those that are kind of coming out of that, that long war to be able to, you know, relate to, or, or to be able to get through some of the, the challenges that they have uh, getting over that. And so helping them find a purpose, helping them, you know, recover from the, the trauma that they've experienced and sharing your own personal story to be able to do it. So thank you for doing that. And I really appreciate yes, it. And thank you for being on the show. Thank you, John. Thanks thank a lot. Thank you. Well, that's it for today. Thank you for listening to Deep Leadership. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and share so we can continue to build a world with better bosses. Until next time, this is John Rennie saying take care and lead well. Thank you for listening to Deep Leadership. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for all you do. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. For more information and updates, please visit our website at www.deepleadershippodcast.com or johnsrenny.com. Until next time, take care. Welcome to Ringside with Ray and Prince. My name is Ray Leonard Jr. Oh, is that the No, that's just my dad. My name is Prince Daniels Jr. Daniels again with a big hole. Touchdown! On this show, we come to humanize athletes, entertainers, business executives. We're going to see what makes them tick. Tuesdays, 10 a.m. Pacific time on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, and wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you there. Peace and power. Electric acid. Today is working for me. Do you believe that for yourself? Hey, I'm Pastor Julie, and I want to empower you through encouragement, inviting you to my podcast, Big Truth Encouragement, where I unpack living a faith-filled life. I created my podcast for the ladies, but gentlemen, you'll gain something too. So I invite you to listen to Big Truth Encouragement on Electricast and any platform where you listen to your podcast. Electricast.